the kill, and Warner wins the set. Fade away by Moores. In play with Craig Maddock, made possible by the exclusive support of Lake Area Technical College. It is you. Welcome to another edition of In Play. I'm Craig Maddock. South Dakota has had its share of players in the National Football League. We've had linemen, linebackers, kickers, but only one quarterback. Our guest today was a two-sport athlete at Sioux Falls Lincoln. He played at Wisconsin, where he led the Big Ten in passing and offense as a junior, and then was all Big Ten as a senior, and then six years in the NFL with five teams. And who he backed up? How about Fran Tarkington, Jim Pluckett, uh, Terry Bradshaw? Oh, my. And he's a, South, he's a member of the South Dakota Sports Hall of Fame. Our guest, Neil Graff of Sioux Falls. And, Neil, before we talk about that time at Wisconsin and the NFL, you were a part of the very first class to open Sioux Falls Lincoln back in 1965. What was it like opening a brand-new high school? Well, yeah, that's correct, Craig. And, uh, and thanks for having me. You know, it's always... It's always fun to talk about the good old days and <laughs> and relive some of those memories. So it's a it's a pleasure to visit with you and and kind of uh, talk about the past a little bit. But yes, I'm a I'm a Sioux Falls native. I grew up on the east side of Sioux Falls and went to Whittier uh, Middle School. And um, as you said, I was I was fortunate, I guess you could say, to to be in the first class of Lincoln High School. They started in the fall of 1965, brand new high school. And um, uh, I remember that first year football, that fall of 1965, Lincoln High School, the actual physical building was not completed yet. So we had to do split shifts at Washington High School. (laughs) Washington went, Washington students went in the morning from like seven to one. Lincoln went from like one to four or five. And, And I remember football practices, the field at Lincoln wasn't finished yet. So we we had football down at Drake, Drake Springs Swimming Pool. We uh, <laughs> not a lot of room at it, the time. <laughs> no, 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 not a lot. Of, we dressed in the bathing of the bathhouse there, <laughs> showered, and we had to walk across the street to the ice skating rink. Some of the older people remember there was a ice skating rink right across from the old um, swimming pool. That's where we practiced. So our our initial fall football season was kind of there was a lot of just a lot of hoopla involved and. And not a lot of continuity, but uh, I had the good fortune of, of playing. Uh, you know, it's, I started as a sophomore at, at Lincoln, and so got a lot of experience. And then, as we transitioned into the basketball season, we pra- had to practice at Patrick Henry Middle School for the first part of the season. And then, I think it was about January of '66 where we were able to start playing our basketball games at Lincoln. Lincoln was pretty much completed. So it was kind of a strange initial <laughs> year at Lincoln, but but a lot of fun. You know, no playoffs back in the 60s when it comes to football in South Dakota, but but you led Lincoln to that mythical title as a junior. What was football like as a junior then for the Patriots? Well, you know, it was, it was kind of a strange situation because when Lincoln started, the, the people at Washington, uh, you know, we had – we didn't have open enrollment then. So if you were in the Lincoln district, you had to go to Lincoln. If you're in the Washington district, you had to go to Washington. But the, the, the students at Washington who, who, were, who, who were in the Lincoln district, they had the option of either finishing their high school career at Washington or they could come over to Lincoln. So the athletes at Washington, the guys who were the kind of the second and third stringers 
at Washington, they opted to come over to Lincoln and, and finish out their high school career because they thought they'd be able to play over there. I had Lincoln where they weren't going to be able to play at Washington because they were like second or third string. So we kind of got the the so-called, uh, for lack of a better term, kind of the, you know, the second stringers or the leftovers from Washington that came over to Lincoln. Mm-hmm. So our sophomore year, we, we had a respectable year. I don't know. We were three and five or three and six. We won a few games. But our my junior year, we had a great senior class that year. And, uh, and, and we were, we still had some of the Washington leftovers there that were still playing (laughs) and, and we had a great senior class. So we ended up winning the mythical at that time, as you mentioned, there weren't playoffs. It was the mythical state championship. The, the, The state champion was voted by the sports writers of South Dakota. So we were in our second year of operation. We were the state football champions and that would have been 1967 uh, which was quite a feat for a new school with all of the confusion and all of the kind of the hoopla that was going on there. So that was quite a feat. So um, I was fortunate to be selected as the All-State quarterback that year. Part of that was, I mean, kind of based on performance and, and leading the team to the championship. So it was a, it was a great honor and, um, um, you know, just a great team accomplishment. And I was proud of my individual accomplishments. So it was, it was just a, a great time there at Lincoln. What was it uh... – Air graph, or was it a lot of running too? I mean, we didn't have the spread offense yet back in the sixties. It was a lot of running. You know, I I, <laughs> I think back on those days, and you know, I I played football in the fall, and then basketball in the winter, and then I did baseball in the summer. I never practiced. I never practiced football. Uh, I never practiced basketball. I never practiced baseball. I just I played whatever was whatever sport was in season. So I never had anybody teach me how to be a quarterback, how to throw a football. It was just all, you know, kind of came naturally or just based on my athletic ability. So, <laughs> um, so we never had, you know, any quarterback coaches or anything at Lincoln. In fact, I actually liked basketball a lot better than football. That, that was my sport was basketball. And I only went out for football because all my friends were going out and I, and I wanted to, you know, hang out with my friends. So I went out for football and, and, you know, as, as many times what happens, especially in youth sports, kind of the, you know, the good athlete gets put at quarterback because he can run and pass and do all those types of things. And that's kind of what got me the, the quarterback job at Lincoln and then kind of had some success. And, and uh, again, just kind of that natural ability just kind of rose to the forefront. And we ended up having some great success there. There was another South Dakotan to get into the NFL about that same time, and that was John Dutton of Rapid City Central. Did you ever get a chance to meet John on the playing field? Well, uh, I, I, I didn't. He was a couple years younger than me, and we never we never met head to head. Probably happy. I am. Yeah, he was quite a defensive lineman. Uh, I'm sure I would have met him <laughs> probably face to face if we would have uh, if we would have met on the field, but. You know, what's kind of interesting about that, that time period, Craig, is that uh, prior, prior to that, you know, mid to late 60s, 66, 7, 8, you could count on one hand the number of Division One athletes that had come out of South Dakota. South Dakota, Sioux Falls, Rapid City, you know, all the eastern South Dakota. We were not on the radar screen of the, of the Division One college coaches, you know, football, basketball, baseball. And the year that I graduated, 1968, both myself and and Larry Jacobson from O'Gorman, mm-hmm. we went to Division One schools. He went to Nebraska. I went to Wisconsin. Uh, and Al Nissen, 
who was a, a basketball player at Miller, great basketball player, he went Division One basketball. Same year, 1968, there were three guys out of South Dakota went Division One. The following year, George Amundsen from Aberdeen went Division One to uh, Iowa State. And then another I don't know, year or so later, Dutton, John Dutton went to Nebraska on Division One. So we that era that that from you know sixty eight to seventy or seventy one we had more Division one athletes out of South Dakota than we'd had probably in the history of South Dakota. So it was a that that time period was was great. I mean, there were some really great athletes that came out of South Dakota during that kind of short time period. You chose Wisconsin though to play college football. Why? Well, it's kind of interesting. Again, I again I was hoping or thinking that I might have a future in basketball. I was all state in basketball two years, and actually I got a, a number of Division One basketball scholarships. So I kind of, uh, you know, when I look back, I, I wonder why I chose football rather than basketball. But you know, back then when the recruiters were recruiting high school athletes, they never recruited you until after your season was over. You know, now they're recruiting athletes. You know one to two years before they graduate but back then it wasn't until after you graduated that's when the recruiters came around so when I got done playing my senior year in football the recruiters started you know started coming around I um it's kind of a unique story how I think I got on the division one radar screen but anyway I got offers from oh I don't know 75 100 schools and and at that time the Big Ten was the premier conference football conference and and basketball too they the SEC wasn't real prevalent then the Big 12 was just starting to to gain traction and the Pac-10 was you know was pretty good but the Big Ten was the premier conference and I'd always dreamed about playing football in the Big Ten and I got recruited by Minnesota was kind of my favorite Uh, Minnesota recruited me but not real real heavily in Iowa. And uh, I actually signed a letter of intent to go to Iowa State, but then kind of at the last minute changed my mind and went to Wisconsin. But the the reason I chose Wisconsin was it was uh, Wisconsin really impressed me. They had a network of alumni, Wisconsin alumni from all over the country. And, And when they were really recruiting an athlete heavily, they would ask the alumni from all over the country to send letters of encouragement to the respective recruit. So uh, after my football season, I bet I got 200 letters from <laughs> Wisconsin alumni all over the country saying, you know, we, we meaning the people, the person who was writing the letter, we, we had a great experience at Wisconsin and we loved it and, and we hope you'll go to Wisconsin. I know, we, you know, we know you'd like it. And that really impressed me when I got these letters. I'd get, you know, five or 10 letters every day from these Wisconsin alumni and that really impressed me. And I, you know, I, I had never sat on the bench as an athlete. I, you know, football, basketball, baseball, I had always played. I never sat on the bench. And I, and I didn't like the prospects of possibly sitting on the bench. And I looked at Wisconsin's quarterback situation, and I thought there was a good opportunity to start there as a sophomore. Back then, freshmen couldn't, weren't eligible to, to play. Um, you know, the thought was that freshmen needed a year to, to kind of transition to college. So yeah, they were redshirted, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I thought there was a good chance to play as a sophomore. So uh, the the fact that I knew I'd get a good education there and, and the thought that I could, there was a decent chance I could start as a sophomore. I didn't want to sit on the bench and to play in the premier conference of the country. That that was the allure that, that kind of got me to, to, to finally go to Wisconsin. You started uh, as a sophomore uh, as quarterback for Wisconsin. You, you started 33 straight games. 
What was the transition yeah. like, though, as a as a sophomore playing at Howard Wood Field in high school to Camp <laughs> yeah. Randall in Madison? Yeah, yeah well, it, it was quite a transition, and I, uh, well, I'm I'm proud of the fact when I look back that I did start 33 games. In fact, in those 33 games, I, I never missed an offensive snap, so I I was pretty durable. And again, I you know when you're going through that, you don't really think about it. But when I look back, I was. And I know how vulnerable a quarterback can be. Mm-hmm. I'm proud of the fact that I never missed a snap. But I, I, I remember the first game I, I came out of the tunnel at Camp Randall Field in Madison, and there's you know 85,000 people there, and they're all in red. <laughs> and I'm thinking at the time that that was about the population of Sioux Falls at that time. And I and I remember thinking I'd never been used to playing more than before you know, maybe a thousand or 2000 people at Howard Wood Field when we play Washington or O'Gorman. And I remember thinking, this is like the whole city of Sioux Falls watching me, you know, and I, <laughs> and I, and obviously was very nervous. Our, our first game was against Oklahoma, who uh, at that time, I think they ended up being in the top 10 of the country. They were really good. And I remember <laughs> my, my first pass, I, my hands were just trembling under the center <laughs> thinking, okay, oh just, just don't let me fumble the ball. You know, don't let me look like a, a fool out here before all these people. And I, and I went back to pass and I, I think I threw the ball about 10 yards over the guy's head because <laughs> the adrenaline, you know, the adrenaline was just flowing freely. And, and I, and I, I settled down after that and we lost the game, but it was a, it was a good game and we lost by seven points or something, but, but we played well. And, and then from then on, you know, I got more comfortable, but it was a big transition going, um, I, I, I'll, I'll share this with you. I remember going to Wisconsin and, and wondering, you know, could, was I going to be able to make it there? Could I make it? And I remember my the first when I went as a freshman, I, I didn't even unpack my bags for the first month or so because I didn't know if I was going to be there, you know, if I could make it. But I'll tell you, and I, I think the people of South Dakota and the surrounding area would be interested to know that at that time, I came together with guys from all over the country, other athletes, other football players, uh, people from Texas and New Jersey and Florida and the Chicago area uh, and California. And, and I realized at that time that, that we, we played a really good quality of football in South Dakota and that we had, not only did we have as good of facilities in Sioux Falls and South Dakota as these guys from the big, big cities, but we had as good or better coaching uh, abilities and, and, and good uh, good coaches that really prepared their athletes for future success. So I was really proud mm-hmm. to realize that that you know my background in Sioux Falls was as good as anybody's in the country in terms of preparing me for success at Wisconsin. Um, but but even even with that, it was a big transition. I mean, these guys, you know the guys I played with at Wisconsin and you know all of the the Big Ten competition. My my first year. Uh, at, at, at Madison as a sophomore, we play, our first three games were Oklahoma, UCLA, and Syracuse before we even got into the Big Ten season. So, you know, it was great. It was really big time competition, but it, it, it made, you know, I had to rise to the occasion. Uh, and, and each game I got better and better and, and felt more comfortable. But, but it was a transition. And, but part of being successful is being able to, to, to make that transition. And, and as I said, kind of rise to the occasion. So, mm-hmm. um, I, again, as I look back, I, I think I did that reasonably successfully. As a junior, you led the Big Ten in passing. Uh, as a senior for Wisconsin, you were all Big Ten. So your, your name certainly was out there. 
come the NFL draft uh, in 1972, you were picked by the Vikings, and it was the 16th round. Of course, they don't go that deep anymore. Yeah. What was draft day like for you back in 72? Well, actually, I was kind of disappointed because after my senior year, I played in a couple of the all-star games. You know, they have, I played in the blue-gray game and the east-west game. And, and that's where the scouts, a lot of the scouts, you know, really get to see you in person. They come down to those games and they, and they watch your practice. And I, and I thought I had a, a, I had a, you know, pretty good week of practices there. I, I didn't play real well in the games itself. I, I remember I, uh, you know, you, you're only in for a short period of time because they've got several quarterbacks and stuff that they're trying to get playing time. And I didn't play very well, but I was, I was uh, hoping that I would have gotten drafted higher, but it was, it was in the later rounds and, and football fans might know that. Um, and it's, and it's a proven fact that, you know, if, if you're drafted after about the third round or about the fourth round, the odds of making it in the NFL are very small of, uh, you know, you know, now they have like seven or eight rounds of, of in the draft. And then they sign a lot of free agents where back in my day, they'd have more draft rounds and then they'd have fewer free agents. But but the odds of a 16th round draft choice making it in the NFL are pretty small. <laughs> but I was drafted by Minnesota, which was great because I'd grown up a Viking fan, went to the first Viking game, preseason game in Sioux Falls in about, what was that, 64 or 65. Fran Tarkington was a, was a rookie then. So it was a great honor to be drafted by the Vikings. And I worked really hard. I worked, I remember that summer leading up to that to that first year with the Vikings, I worked really hard and, and, um, and long story short, I was, I was able to hang on and play, and play with and make the Vikings. And, and that was great. Uh, uh, Fran Tarkington and Bob Lee and myself were the three quarterbacks. And I, I learned an awful lot that year. Fran Tarkington was great in terms of kind of taking me under his wing and, you know, kind of showing me the ropes and answering any questions uh, that I had. So he was a great, kind of mentor, I guess you could say. And I learned an awful lot, but it was, you know, the, the, the draft, as I mentioned, I was hoping to be drafted earlier. So I remember that draft day as the, as the draft wore on and I wasn't drafted. I I was very disappointed, uh, but ultimately glad to be drafted. And of course, by the Vikings, it was just kind of a blessing that I, I was kind of in the right place at the right time. And I bucked the odds of a 16th round draft choice, making it and particularly making it with the Vikings. It was just a, a real honor and pleasure to, 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 be in that spot. What happened in 1973? Well, um, the Vikings that year drafted in 73, the Vikings drafted in the fourth round, another quarterback, Mike Wells out of Illinois, another big tenor. And, you know, as I mentioned, uh, the first three or four rounds of, of drafted rounds in the NFL, there, there's pretty high probability that they will make it. Um, and so that year, uh, Mike Wells got drafted and we battled for kind of that third quarterback position. And he, he won, he beat me out or, you know, I'm not sure that he beat me out, but because of his fourth round draft choice, I think the Vikings, they, they want, they, they saw some potential there and it's being such a high, a higher draft choice. They wanted to keep him to keep him on the team to see if if um, if he might fulfill his his potential. So actually, 1973, I after I was with the team right up until the last cut, and then I got cut the last cut, and it was kind of too late to catch on with any other team at that time. So I actually 
sat out the 1973 season and then signed in 1974 with the New England Patriots. Um, and Jim Plunkett was the, the quarterback uh, at that time. So another actually, another Hall of Famer. Sat out. Yeah. <laughs> another Hall of Famer. Tarkington, a Hall of Famer. Plunkett, Hall of Famer, based on his two Super Bowl victories with the Oakland Raiders. Yeah. Yeah. So did you have a, um, did you have an agent at that time, um, that you dealt with dealing with going from Minnesota to new England? I, I did. And, and at that time, agents were just starting to kind of be the thing, you know, they are the person in between the teams and the players. And so I did have an agent and it was, a, his name was Lowell Morris. He was out of San Francisco and he, he had been an agent or he was an agent with several of the Vikings. And that's how I kind of got introduced to him. So it was, it was kind of nice to have someone out there kind of lobbying or out there looking for opportunities and visiting with the, the NFL, the, the different team general managers and stuff. So it was something that I was not, I wasn't familiar with that process. And I'm not sure how good I would have been, you know, trying to intercede for myself. So it was easier to have someone else like that, uh, like the, the, the agent would do that and, and uh, so it was, it was. It was nice to have someone in that capacity working for you. So you got Jim Plunkett with you uh, at New England. Um, Chuck Fairbanks, I think, is the coach. Uh, what was that experience like? Those two years in New England. Well, that that was also. I mean, it was a great learning experience. And and I, uh, you might recall, I, I mentioned that my first game as a sophomore at Wisconsin was against Oklahoma, and Chuck Fairbanks was the coach of Oklahoma at that time. So he, he kind of knew me. He was kind of familiar with me. So when I signed with New England, uh, Jim Plunkett was the, the quarterback, and he was the Heisman Trophy winner out of Stanford. So, I, I mean, I knew at least initially that there wasn't probably a real good chance that I would unseat him. But I was, I was still in the early part of my career and wanting to, uh, you know, wanting to get experience and, and uh, hoping you know, for that opportunity for that break. Um, and, and so I, I made the Patriots squad and backed up Jim Plunkett for two years. Um, when you talk about opportunities, my second year with New England, the last preseason game of the year, Jim Plunkett got injured. And he was going to be out for at least a couple games. And so I was scheduled to start the first game of the year for the Patriots. And then I thought, this is my big break. I, you know, I want to make sure I prepare myself and do well. And this could be the stepping stone that I've been looking for. I'm going to get at least a couple starts here in New England. And then in 1975, the NFL went on strike. <laughs> Wouldn't you know, from a, from a timing perspective, the players were negotiating a new contract with the loaners and they weren't able to come together. So the players, the players association, the players union called for a strike. So the first, it was the first, I don't know, two or three weeks of the year, we were on strike and we didn't play the games. So those, those were the games, those were the two or three games that I was scheduled to start. And, and so my opportunity to kind of showcase my talents went by the wayside. So when the players came back and the games resumed, Plunkett was healthy and he started playing again. So, you know, so, so, so many things I think in football or sports, as well as life, timing can be everything. And, and uh, in this case, the timing did not work in my favor in terms of the the strike and, and the opportunity I had, but, uh, but nonetheless, the, the time in new England was, um, was extremely valuable in terms of, of experience. Well, opportunity came knocking again, I think in 1976, uh, the expansion draft is the new Seattle yeah. Seahawks joined the NFL and 
you were drafted uh, by Seattle, and this young kid called Jim Zorn was also there. Uh, yeah. But after yeah, the preseason, you well, got traded after that. Um, yeah. What was that experience <laughs> with Seattle like? Yeah, well, um, you know, when, when a new team comes into the league, Tampa and Seattle came into the league in 76, and I uh, so I was, and, and when a new team comes in, they get to pick three or four players off of every, every team's roster that is in the NFL. So I got chosen by Seattle. Uh, Jack Patera was the coach of Seattle and he was a former assistant coach at, at Minnesota when I was there. So he again knew me, knew of my talents and everything. So he selected me from New England. Uh, Jim Zorn was the other quarterback. So we, we battled like mad. I, I started the first game ever for the Seattle Seahawks at quarterback in the old kingdom. And we battled during the preseason. Um, and and uh, Jim Zorn won the job and I was the backup quarterback. And then after the, after the second game of the year, uh, Terry Bradshaw at uh, Pittsburgh got injured. And, um, and long story short, I got traded from Seattle to, to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh may have seen something in you, huh? For your, to well, trade yeah, for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, and I didn't have any real experience with Pittsburgh. I mean, I don't remember ever playing them, but obviously the coaches are looking at films and, and all of that. And, and at that time they, they, they thought I was the best quarterback available to, to come into Pittsburgh and, and, uh, and, and play if I had to. So, uh, so they traded for me. And, and you remember at that time, 1976, they had won two Super Bowls at that time. So I was coming into a talent-laden team. This is Terry Bradshaw, Frank O'Harris, Lynn Swan, wow. Mean Joe Green, Jack Lambert. Uh, I mean, arg- arguably. Your um, mouth is, is watering. Yeah. <laughs> you know, argu- arguably the, the best team ever in football. Of the of the twenty two starters with the Steelers, eleven on offense and eleven on defense, they've got eleven guys in the Hall of Fame. There's no other team that could be in that conversation for best team ever. The Montana Forty ers the the Aikman, uh, the the Stallback Aikman Cowboys, or the McMahon Bears of '85. Nobody has anywhere near that number of Hall of Famers. So the the Steelers had some tremendous athletes. Uh, during that time period, but it was, I, I went in there. I was really worried about whether they would accept me. You know, here's there are these guys, two straight Super Bowls, and they, um, uh, but they were, they were so nice and down to earth and they accepted me coming in, you know, kind of in mid season, not mid season, but after the second game of the year, uh, they, they were really, really encouraging and really nice. So it was, uh, that, that was a, a tremendous experience, uh, with, with, the. Uh, Pittsburgh Steelers and the Rooney family who owns the Steelers. You were there for two years with the Steelers. Um, overall, right. you know, what was Terry Bradshaw like with you and, well, <laughs> you know, backing up another hall of Famer? Yeah. Yeah. Another hall of famer. I, well, he was you know, at that time I was single. I was single my whole playing career and, and Terry Bradshaw was single at that time. Uh, 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 Jack Lambert was single. Lynn Swan was single. So we used to hang out a lot because we didn't have any, you know, families or anything. So, but Terry Bradshaw was a great guy. I mean, he's he's just like he portrays himself to be on TV. I mean, he's uh, you know, that good old country boy image, you know, just down home guy, fun loving. I always, I always tell people that if you're going to have a party, you'd like Terry Bradshaw there because he's just <laughs> he's naturally the life of the party. You know, he just he just likes to ham it up and have fun, and and so he was he was really fun to be around, and and. Uh, 
got, got some great stories about him. May, may probably don't have time to talk about him today, but some sometime uh, uh, we should do a little visit about some of the stories Terry Bradshaw and <laughs> Lynn Swan and Jack Lambert. You'd appreciate oh, some of those things. Just the the mighty Steelers, and you got to yeah. be a part of that at that yeah. point in time. Yeah, like I said, maybe the best team ever, and it was just a privilege to to kind of be a part of that, uh, a part of that heritage kind of in those and kind of the legends that they've created. Well, because of the hall of famer and Bradshaw, you really didn't get a heck of a lot of playing time though. Did you? No, I didn't, you know, and not only was he very talented, but he was just a heart. I mean, strong, hearty guy. I mean, he just didn't get injured. And, and if he did get nicked up a little bit, I mean, he just, he didn't want to ever leave the playing field. He loved to be out there. And, and, uh, I remember a couple of times where, you know, the average guy would have been on the sidelines, but he he didn't want to be on the side. He was a tough, tough guy, and he and he would persevere and you know and and do anything to be out there on the field. So I didn't I didn't get much playing time there, but uh, uh, but again, just just a privilege to be a part of that that team. One last thing on the Steelers, of course, Mike Webster was the center for the Steelers. Was he with you at, at Wisconsin? Yeah, he was a Badger. He's from Rhinelander, Wisconsin, and he was my center at Wisconsin. And of course, Mike Webster, uh, Hall of Famer with the Steelers, a stalwart. Uh, well, I think he played like 19 years or something like that in the NFL. And people who have seen the the, the movie Concussion, you know, all of the dementia issues that are now plaguing some of the old NFL guys. Um, uh, Mike Webster was was had had severe dementia and ended up basically dying at a young age yeah. because of the, uh, the 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 dementia issues and kind of a sad a sad story. Yeah. But Mike Webster was the center piece of the movie Concussion. I'd encourage any football fan to, to see that movie if they can. It really is is really is interesting and and it's about Mike Webster and a, and a couple of the other guys that. Have, uh, older players that have had dementia in the NFL, but it's a it's a great view, um, and 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 Mike Mike was just such an integral part of the success that the Steelers had. It was it was fun to, for me to reunite with him with with the Steelers. Well, one last opportunity for you in the NFL after the Steelers. It was 1978, and the Packers come a calling. They got Bobby Douglas and David Whitehurst. Did you think at that point in time that that was your last opportunity to try to get something going in the NFL? Well, I, I did. You know, I started, uh, you know, uh, while I was playing football during the offseason, I went back to Wisconsin, University of Wisconsin, and I got my master's degree in finance and MBA. So I, I was starting to prepare myself for, for life after football. I mean, I guess I was smart enough to know that football wasn't going to last forever, and I had to prepare myself for for the real, I, I call it the real world where the football world was kind of a fantasy world, but I had to prepare myself for, for the real world. Um, and I started to realize that maybe, maybe my destiny was, was to be a journeyman quarterback. Um, and, and not that there's you know anything wrong with that, but I mentioned I had, I had never been used to sitting on the bench. So, so my time as a backup quarterback, it just, it, it really wore on me psychologically because I wanted to play That's that was my DNA as an athlete was to play. Uh, and I hadn't gotten that much playing time in, but I started to realize that maybe that was my destiny. So I, um, so I realized with, with, with Green Bay at that time, and, and by the way, Bart Starr was the coach then. So he was my boyhood idol and, you know, early sixties where Green Bay won their championships with Paul Horning and, and, uh, Jim Taylor and all those guys. Um, 
uh, but but it was a pleasure to to play with him. And I so I, I I was with Green Bay, and unfortunately in the preseason, one of the games that I was playing, I really hurt my knee really badly, really tore it up. Um, and I and I I hung on with Green Bay that year for the first two or three games. I mean, I was on the squad. I made the team basically. Um, but my knee continued to bother me and it got worse and worse. And I realized after about the third game of the year that, that I, I couldn't do the things that I needed to do in terms of mobility. I couldn't run very well anymore because of my knee and, and my, 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 you know, you need your legs under you to, to be a good passer. You have to have a good foundation and my, my, with my knee, one of my knees bothered me. I just didn't have that good foundation. Mm-hmm. So I basically retired. I went on the injured reserve list because of my knee. So I was basically on the team, but injured reserve for that year. And then I realized my knee was just not going to, was not going to make it. So I retired after that year. Well, what's going through your mind at the time you're going to retire, knowing that you've been playing football every year since Whittier Middle School, through <laughs> yeah. high school, four years yeah. at Wisconsin, and then, you know, yeah. those years in the NFL. Was yeah. there some really emotional times coming for you at that time? You bet. You know, there really was, Craig. Every, and it still, have, it, still, it still is a part of me today. Um, it was a really hard transition because football was such a huge part of my life. I mean, my, my life was centered around football. As you say, ever, ever since I was uh, – you know, 12, 13 years old at Whittier Middle School. So um, it was really hard transitioning back into the real world. But uh, fortunately, as I said, I had prepared myself from a business perspective. You know, so many players, I think, have the same issues or problems transitioning, but they don't have anything to fall back on. Many of them haven't finished college, or if they have finished college, it's they, they're not sure what they want to do with their life. And it takes them a long time to to kind of figure that out. But fortunately I had kind of thought about that and worked through that. So I, it was a little bit easier for me because I knew what I wanted to do. And, and I, and I had the work ethic and the motivation to do it. Um, but, but it's interesting every, every late summer in July and August when training camp would normally start, I get, I get emotional or kind of, <laughs> I get worked up because I'm used to, I keep thinking about going back to training camp every year and getting, ready for the season. And, and, and it still is that way today. Every time late in the summer, July, August, when I hear training camps are starting, I kind of get pumped up and the adrenaline starts flowing. And, and I just, I just, so again, it's just part of my DNA is it because it was so ingrained in my, 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 my being, uh, you know, my psyche, my being that, that it's, it still is that way today after many years of being absent from the, from the NFL. Last one for you, Neil, and it's pretty interesting. You didn't spend a lot of time in Seattle, but they had an award named after you uh, <laughs> in Seattle. Yeah. The the Graffy. Do they still do that? They they they, they do. The the Graffy is an award the Seattle Seahawks fan club. Uh, when I when I was at Seattle and then I left the 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 fan club, the head of the fan club, and it was kind of consensus of the fan club that. That that they wish Neil Graff was still there, and I I appreciate I love the fact that they feel that way. They they wish that I was still there. They didn't want to see me leave, and that's great. Um, and they decided to create an award uh, uh, for me, or based on on my name or my presence, and it's it's awarded to the most under under uh, appreciated <laughs> underappreciated player, meaning the guy who who contributed 
to the success of the Seahawks, but didn't really get the recognition. So some very notable people have got it. Trent Dilfer, Max Strong. So they still, they still award that. And, um, and so it's kind of a, it's kind of neat that I, that my, my name, so to speak, is living on uh, through, through the Graffy, the Neil Graff award or the, the shorter name is called the Graffy. <laughs> so it's kind of fun to, to have that there, even though I had a short, a pretty short tenure in Seattle. <laughs> what piece of memorabilia, whether it's high school, college, or something from the NFL, do you still have and cherish the most? Well, <laughs> you know, that I, that's interesting you say that because, I, of course, I've got some autographed balls from all the teams, the New England, the, the Vikings, and the Steelers, and it's fun. Every once in a while, I look at the balls and see the names, and when I see the names, it, it brings back lots of good memories. But uh, and, and maybe it may, <laughs> I, I guess the, the statute of limitations is out on this, but I remember that my second last year, second year in, in Pittsburgh, after the season was over, you know, my locker, the lockers were, were, were positioned according to alphabet. So my locker was right next to Franco Harris, G, G, Graf, H, Harris. <laughs> nice. So Franco was right next to me. So I remember I went in the day after the season was over, I was going to clean out my locker because I was going to, I was headed back to Madison, Wisconsin. And I remember Franco had a pair of his artificial turf shoes there. And then, and, you know, and then in the bottom of the shoe, they had written his number, number 32. So they knew whose shoes they were. So I, I, again, not a good thing to confess. I took a pair of his shoes. Um, and, and like I said, I think the statute of limitations is always over now after all these years, but I've got a pair of Franco Harris's shoes, uh, with number 32 in it. And I, and I've, and I've actually got those in my closet and I just, I, I like to look at them every once in a while because, again, it brings back a lot of good memories. So that's one of my, my most cherished memorabilia items. Last one. This is the last one. Um, <laughs> you, you, you are in the financial industry, and you talked about how the, you prepared for the financial industry after football, but how did athletics prepare you for life after football in the financial industry? Well, I mean, I think football just te- sport, maybe sports in general, but particularly football. I think provides a person, a guy, or in some cases, a gal, with a lot of life valuable life lessons. I mean, during my as I look back in my playing days, I mean, there's so many, you know, the ability the ability to set goals, both as an individual and as part of a team, and work toward those goals. Uh, the the teamwork. I mean, knowing that that you as an individual have some talents, but there's a lot of synergism that's created with teamwork. You know, the old synergism, the old two plus two equals five. Uh, when we work together as a team, we can be more than we can, we can achieve more than the individual parts of that team. So the, the, the teamwork aspect, the, the motivation, the, uh, the, the, um, the ability to set goals and work toward those goals. I mean, I think those are applicable not only to my job in the financial services industry, but kind of life in general. I mean, we all, no matter what job, what profession we're in, uh, you know, we all, we all have goals. We all need to be working towards something, but we have to be able to, to have a plan and to be able to work together, whether it's with our family or our fellow employees or, uh, you know, our neighbors or whoever it might be, we have to be able to work together. And that, I think, are some of the valuable lessons that football taught me that, that enabled me to be successful not only in football, but in life after football. 
In Play with Craig Mavic, made possible by the exclusive support of Lake Area Technical College. It is you. If you like what you're hearing, please give us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us gain new listeners. This has been In Play with me, Craig Mavic. This is a production of South Dakota Public Broadcasting.